This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Yes! What is up, everybody? And welcome back to another exciting installment of the Kegelasa podcast. And we have a lot to talk about. Ronaldo got benched. Jane Sancho's on the score sheet. And Man United take points off of the league leaders, the Blues of Chelsea. As I, that's like our lead in. That's what I wanted to say. But I'm Jimmy Conrad alongside Hollywood Heath Pierce. Look back on the action from Stanford Bridge. Some other snow swept Premier League games, a big shakeup in the Serie A standings. All three of the big teams in La Liga doing the business without some controversy with VAR, but there's always some controversy with VAR. Palmeiras winning back to back Copa Libertadores trophies. It's all popping off, and we have a lot more to talk about. Kegelasso begins right now. All right, everybody, welcome to the show. This is the big one, the Sunday recap. We find the winners and the losers, and we talk about everything in between. So if you're watching live on YouTube, I can't emphasize this enough. Politely hit that subscribe button. Find that cursor. Hit subscribe. Turn on your notifications. Make it happen, because we want to hear from you. We don't want you to miss any of the conversations that we're having on the best YouTube channel in the whole entire world. Yes, I'm a little bit biased, but you know what I'm talking about. If you're listening to this in podcast form, we appreciate that. But you know what we also appreciate? You subscribing to the Kegelasa podcast and leaving us a five-star review. That would be very kind of you. All right, Heath Pierce, let's get into the big game. There's lots of big games. Yeah. So I don't really know how to – the bigger, the biggest, the biggest, lots of big, big this is This is our big game, though. I, I was one. just thinking about that. This is – you and I, we, we, we train all week on shows doing things, <laughs> primarily with Paramount Plus or CBS or one of the those affiliate – networks but <laughs> this is our big game man this is the recap this is when we get to talk about it all really break it all down so i'm excited man it's good to see you again as well likewise always good to see your hollywood handsome face all right so chelsea won one against manchester united we could argue that this game at stanford bridge and i want to put out the fun fact that man united are unbeaten in their last eight against chelsea in all competitions that's a fun one for you but we could argue that Jorginho was the man of the match for both teams he created the mistake that led to Jaden Sancho scoring, and then he ended up scoring the penalty. Soft penalty? Yes or no? We'll get into that in a sec. Let us know what your thoughts are on that, or hit us up on the Twitters if you want to get into it some more. What were your thoughts, though, before we get into the nitty-gritty about Cristiano, Cristiano Ronaldo? I can't even say his name. I'm so excited to talk about it. Him not starting. Now, Michael Carrick, the caretaker manager of the interim, had... The caretaker. The caretaker. I love that. Write that down. He had the bold decision not to start Bruno Fernandes midweek. In this game, he elects to not start Cristiano Ronaldo, who did not look happy. And when he came on for the last 30 minutes, he didn't look happy when he came on, didn't look happy when he went off, didn't really do much when he was on the field. Talk to me about that decision. And do you think it came from Carrick, or do you think it came in from the new manager that's going to be taken over for the next six months, Ralph Rangnick? Yeah, I I feel like that was coming from Big Ralph. Uh, Because I feel there's there's a few things at play here, right? You now have an opportunity in an interim to set a new precedent. Not that Ronaldo is above the law, because when Ronaldo's on the field, the team has a better chance of winning than when he's not. However, you now have the opportunity to set a precedent of what the future is going to look like, what the rotation is going to look like, and allow you to try new things, right? And you have a very short window of that when you have interim, and they have till the end of the season to interim that. You know that Ronaldo's probably, I wouldn't say surplus to requirement, because he'll never be a surplus to any requirement he's just such a large presence that the game is different when he's on the field and Mm -hmm. the team has a better chance of winning when he's on the field than when he's not however when you look at this team you almost just like just like everybody's done preparing for the post Messi, preparing for the post Ronaldo this team also even though it's a short time need to prepare for the post Ronaldo and start to figure out who your best team is and who 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 goes where on the field obviously benching Bruno Fernandez I thought was a bold move Benching Ronaldo is also a bold move. We know that he's up there in age and that you want to play him in these big games, but you also need to be able to rotate him. We're seeing that with PSG right now. There's no perfect lineup of where you put Ronaldo on the field and you go, okay, this team makes sense in the same way that it's you know Mbappe, Messi, and Neymar. There's no lineup that you put the three of them on. You go, 
oh, that makes sense. Now, your odds are always better with them on the field, but that doesn't mean that you're a cohesive team or that the team is getting better uh, collectively as a group. So uh, while I think that Carrick probably made the choice, or I think uh, he definitely made the choice, I think there, this came from a little bit higher up uh, in terms of, hey, maybe go for a rotation. See see how Sancho plays. See how another player plays in this thought. I mean, what, what was your take on this? Who are you blaming on this one? And, and, uh, and overall, just kind of, are you okay with it? I'm okay with it. I don't think that Ronaldo was ever really in the plans in the first place when this season began. I think he fell into their lap and then they made adjustments to accommodate someone of his stature and obviously a club legend. So because of because of Manchester City, right? Well, yeah, um, Man, Man City and and you, you, didn't but want I, him, you didn't want him to go there and have success, which you knew yeah. he would in some capacity. I don't think he he would have helped them. I think they obviously keep a lot of the ball and he could probably stay a little bit more central and just get tap in after tap in <laughs> like a lot of those players do. <laughs> but, but so it good. Was, I mean, it was a system. I mean, they, they, they signed him so he didn't go to City. I mean, unless unless you've seen or read something else, it was more of a, a result of like, man, we can't let this happen. Right. Uh, and, and obviously knowing he could contribute, but he's not. he wasn't on the top of their, their transfer list. No, no, 100%. I don't even think anybody thought he was available, at least from a Manchester United perspective. Yeah. And they went out and spent a lot of money on Jaden Sancho to be one of the guys they were going to build around. And then when Ronaldo became available, it didn't feel like they could coexist on the field at the same time. And we saw evidence of that today, where Sancho looked a little bit more lively. He scored his first Champions League goal for the club midweek, just scored his first goal for the club in the Premier League Woo! in this particular game. It's all Jaden Sancho right now. Yeah. I do want to give a shout-out to Ilyas, who has been following us in the very beginning, one of the OG followers on YouTube. What's up, big man? Hope you're doing well. Now, I do think there is some rationale in saying that this was the first of six games in 16 days for Manchester United, yeah, and that it's a marathon, not a sprint, and that you could have a real conversation with Ronaldo about, hey, we want to pace ourselves, and with you in particular, given your age, we can't play you in all all six of these yeah, games. Yeah, but it's Chelsea. It's Chelsea. I agree. That's that's the counter. Is if I was Ronaldo, I'd be like, yeah, okay, I'll sit out the young boys in the Crystal <laughs> Palace one, and, and I'll play against Arsenal, and then this one against Chelsea, you know, or the Brentford and Brighton at the back end of these. So, I, I, I yeah, it was really really interesting. So they must have thought that there was some type of super sub effect that he could have, and when he came on. He he could have won the game. It was one one at that point. You know, it was the game was in the balance, even though Chelsea were dominated. You could feel that. Yeah, but, it, they were, uh, but to be, I will say this uh, with regard to him coming on in the super, super sub, and then I'll let you continue. No, they Man United were were defensively okay. They or at least they you could see that they had a, a defensive approach, and so there had to be something to go with the fact they were going to concede possession. They were gonna they were gonna just sort of almost play a little more Chelsea like, not necessarily needing the ball all the time. And it seemed to work. At least, at least it seemed like there was a buy-in to get to that point. Now, I thought that you know Chelsea were a better side for sure. But when you look at Man United and the fact that they they went one-one and the fact that they were up one-nil uh, with a little bit of luck on their side and some help, it, it just still seemed like a more cohesive group. And they still got a ton of problems. But do you think that was the thinking with the Ronaldo, or do you think this was, or or, or are there bigger factors at play? I, I, it's hard to say because they actually started with two up top. And had Bruno Fernandez playing underneath. So you had Sancho and Rashford. And I talked to a couple of my diehard Man United friends who just don't care for Bruno. They just think he's overrated. And I said, hey, you got to give the guy a bit of a break. First of all, he's got McTominay, Fred, and Matic now who are playing in a midfield three in some capacity that have never played together, I don't think, or haven't very often. And that's going to throw off where to pick up the ball and where the space is. And then you play with two strikers when normally only has one striker in front of them and a couple of wingers. So I told them to lay off Bruno a little bit because it's a completely new formation that they haven't tried and so on and that so was forth. Nice and, you, and it felt, it felt nice very narrow. I'm just trying to be diplomatic about this and, and take it for what it is. It's hard to say. I mean, there was a bit of a Christmas tree formation until you got to the front line. And even though I thought Rashford in particular looked fresh, he looked really sharp in this game. I thought Jaden Sancho... Uh, maybe because Ronaldo wasn't on the field, I don't want to read into it too much, but it felt like they had some room to run into. But they we got to read into areas. it. We got to read okay, into fine. this. Okay, we got to read into it. So I just felt like they were enjoying a little bit of space to run into because I do feel like Ronaldo occupies a lot of space. For better or for worse, obviously that does play into their favor sometimes. I, I just, when you have McTominay, Matic, and Fred out on the field, and I thought all three of those guys were, were pretty solid in all things. And I thought Baye was pretty solid defensively. Lindelof, all right, you know, all, all pretty good. They needed that type of performance, and De Gea needed to make a save or two, as he does. But it's tough. I, I don't think this team was initially built around Ronaldo, and now you got to figure out what to do, which is what I said in the preview. Like, what are you going to do with Ronaldo? That's the big elephant in the room, even though we know that he can be successful and that he can be clutch. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's it's one of those things that comes down to the fact that it was trouble the moment they signed him because there is literally only one outcome that you can view this as a win. And that's winning everything, right? You bring in Ronaldo for the right. disruption of this team, for the disruption of the development of the club. This is somebody who's bigger than the club. For as long as he's going to be there, he's going to be bigger than the club. It's not his fault. It's not his problem. It's not his ego. He still goes out there and fights harder or as hard or harder than anybody when he's on the field. It just so happens that he's up there in age, and he just so happens that he's one of the greatest players of all time. Therefore, there isn't really an opportunity to rotate him in the squad. And so I I actually appreciated the fact that they did this. And I think it was a statement against the Chelsea. Of course, you want him on the field. Of course, you want him playing all these games. But maybe you pick and choose your moments when you use them. You do need to balance the short-term goals because this team's not winning the Premier League. Man United are not winning the Premier League this year. Man United are not winning the Champions League this year. So you need to get the most out of Ronaldo and what you can get uh, out of him in order to, to, to help this team forward. And this is hard because, again, you bring in a player this age, you bring in to win all these things. Now, they might get some sort of silverware out of, out of this season. But for the most part, you bring in a player that, that, that's at that age because it's about now. It's about today. It's about tomorrow. It's about leaving here better than you found it. And that comes when you are a Man United in the form of silverware and silverware only. Getting back to the Champions League, okay, it, you need Ronaldo for that? Or is, was this, again, or was there not even thought about this because I mean, it was just like he's going to City. We got to get him in and we'll figure yeah, it out later. And that's well, the problem. It all comes back to that call from Sir Alex Ferguson who – called Cristiano and said, you can't go to City, you're a legend, come to us. You wonder if he did that on his own or if he did it with having some conversations with Ole Gunnar and and the the staff because, I don't know, I I hope Pep Guardiola says it was actually four-dimensional chess that he was playing, that he just wanted Ronaldo to go to Man United to sink their season a little bit. (laughs) It was always going to be hard a little bit. to for. I don't think, when I look at this Man United team, they're not going to win the Champions League. I, I I feel like I can say that with pretty certain confidence that even with Ronaldo in the team, they'll be able to hang around. But once they get into the knockout rounds, it's over two legs and, and their vulnerabilities can be exposed a little bit more against uh, another been, top They got club. exposed in the group stages. Uh, they're just, they're, they are, they are s- s- like just barely getting by, finding ways to grind out, you know, like the appreciative, like grind out results in the Champions League. They've already, like, there's not like there's a secret to this team where, you move uh, Mason Greenwood to the wing and Sancho up, Sancho up top, and you go, right. oh, okay, we found it. <laughs> yeah, found that it, unlocked you know? everything. Yeah, No, no it's, it's fair. It's a good point. I just feel that with Cristiano Ronaldo in particular, because you're nearing the end of his career, it's, you have to deal with what that means. And, and what happens if you don't start him against Arsenal this, this upcoming week on Thursday? What happens then? Like, that guy's going to pout. And, and he has reason to pout. He's still scoring goals and, and doing what he's paid to do, which is... Well, he's their best player. He's their well, best yes. player. <laughs> it just, it's, it's which just is not their best player within the, 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 the context it's, it's, of building a team and developing a team. such a conundrum. So I'm very curious to see how Ralph Rangnick approaches this particular situation. It was what I kind of got to jump on on Thursday when we talked about this game. Ilya says, where does Mason Greenwood fit into this system? And does Ronaldo stun his growth? Yeah, of course he does. He's going to take minutes away from anybody, whether it's Jaden Sancho or or Mason Greenwood. But that's a great question. Uh, what do you what your answer on that, Heath? And then we'll move over to the Chelsea side of things. Yeah, I mean, my answer is hundred percent. It stunts his growth. I mean, I think just the when you look at the signings in general, you've got a, a and, and not even a, a potential like Premier League top player. You've got a potential star in Mason Greenwood, who's supposed to have his mm-hmm, coming mm-hmm. out year this season, right? And he was starting to find a rhythm a little bit with with. Uh, Fernandez and and their the way that they moved off of each other. Then you had Sancho, who the who who the club wanted for two years, just begging for him to come. Never got his real run of games because of the pressure put on him. You've got Martial, you've got Rashford, you've got Lingard, you've got all these players that you go, well, we're, they're all losing with Ronaldo there. All of them are losing because we see it. Chelsea, Chelsea's got no problem. The only victim of 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 the success of Chelsea is is, is maybe Timo Werner, and mm-hmm. he's still getting time, and he's still sc- scoring in the you know Champions League and he scrap goals and things like that. But he's still getting some time, regardless, because they play so many games. But right now, you look at it and you go, no matter how you rotate this front six in the attack, more than half of them, or at least half of them, are are not getting anything out of out of the moment with Ronaldo there because it was just that one thing where it allowed there to be one position that's gone, Bruno Fernandez position gone. And now you have very few positions left on the field and a number of sort of young stars 
that you've got to now find places for them. So yeah, I think for sure it hurts Greenwood and it hurts others uh, just as much as not, if not more. I mean, Greenwood, yeah. especially because his age, he needs the games, but of all of them are, are, are at the detriment. This is the conversation that won't be dying anytime soon. So we'll be talking a lot about Cristiano Ronaldo and Manchester United moving forward. But let's talk a little bit now about Chelsea. My only, let's say criticism, I'd say, of their performance. And it's not even Jorginho related. Obviously, he made a bad mistake and got punished for it, but then redeemed himself with the penalty and stepping up. A lot of courage stepping up to hit that I agree. penalty after a mistake. I mean, I agree. I agree. I thought it's probably a penalty on textbook stuff but there's a lot of soft penalties out there and that probably falls at least for me into the soft penalty department but Silva gets to the ball first he gets kicked from behind what are you going to do it's such a tough one with Jimmy you, to that. you know what it was like I, when I, you were a player pre-VAR pre-VAR pre you knew that was one thing you always talked about in, in the boxes you don't go swinging a leg yeah, even if right. you're going for the ball you don't right. have a long swing everything's got to be little tiny pokes and toes and then you could argue that but if you go in and I know again you're arriving late and you think you're the first to the ball things like that but you know what it's like pre pre var that was that was a common penalty of like ref's discretion sees it from an angle yeah. other other ones might be like nah a little soft for me but once you call that it's hard to it's hard to bring that back especially yeah. with, with, with the cameras watching now yeah it's tough it's a tough one so whatever one one there's a result I, I my only criticism of Thomas Tuchel was why it took so long to bring on subs they once they did the game changed in their favor and and things started to to and even though the penalty happened in the 69th minute. They didn't make subs until the 78th. They brought on Pulisic and Mason Mount for Alonso and Hudson-Odoi. And they pushed Reese James over to the left side, left wing back, and put Pulisic as the right wing back. And that, I liked the sub. I just wish it came about 10 minutes prior to that. Yeah. And, and I just don't understand why he waited so long to make that happen. And then Romelu Lukaku. If that guy is fit to play against his former club, you don't give him just eight minutes at the I, – I, maybe they're really, really trying to ease him into it. But if he's fit enough to get out there for eight minutes, yo, put that guy out there for 30 minutes. That guy is so hungry to score against his former clubs and to show what he's, he's made of and how much he's evolved and gotten better since his time at United. You knew that he wanted to do that. And I just thought, yeah, eight minutes isn't really a lot to do anything. So by the way, I, what, by the what way. were your thoughts on, on, on Chelsea? Maybe any of the performances? Timo Werner obviously didn't light it up again. Yeah, Timo Werner is the one that I'm literally thinking like, okay, I, I believe his future is elsewhere uh, from, from Chelsea just because of the fact that, well, they keep having to use him because of depth issues, but I, I just don't see where he fits in because he's not clinical enough. And he was the one that I thought would be the Holland before Holland came around, right? Of just right. stretch teams, run him to the corner flags, run him down the channels, run behind back lines, just that high energy, big body. You know, I thought that that would evolve into, into being more of a prolific finisher but it just hasn't happened. And so I wonder where his future lies because he's another player that's just, again, the victim of the team's success where he gets a few minutes, gets a chance, doesn't finish it. Now, he's paid to finish those chances, but when he doesn't finish those, you can see it has an effect on him. And you can see this sort of tail that goes throughout games where he's being relied upon in a system where they don't, they're not, they're not trying to generate 15 chances in front of goal for him like he was in, in the right. Bundesliga where he, right. he was getting a, a lot more opportunities. He's getting... A, half chances or a chance and in the premier league at the highest level for the biggest club and the transfer fee that that he that he summoned you've got to finish those and i think he that makes him just sort of a little further down the depth chart in terms of his versatility and where else you could use him if he's not playing in the nine spot yeah i would take him at newcastle <laughs> if they want to just get rid of some guys that have something to prove uh, my newcastle would love to have a player like timo Werner. all right let's move on to another manchester club manchester city hosting west ham in a pretty important game in, in some capacity and even more important now that they gain two points on league leaders, Chelsea, who now just have that one point lead at the top, taking on a very good West Ham team. What were your thoughts on this particular game? I thought it was a tremendous performance of Man City. God, well, they're so good when they're on. You just you just have to sit back and, and applaud. You know what I mean? You just have to yeah. really appreciate how good they are at all the little things and how all those little things pile up into some, some great, great, great opportunities or just in terms of how they pressure the ball. I mean, I can't, I'm a big fan, big fan of what they do sometimes. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, West Ham were really good in the first half and, and I thought they held their own against this man city side. But again, if you don't finish your chances and West Ham should have been looking at it, had probably the clear chances or bigger chances in the first half. And when you don't mm -hmm. put a, a city away or at least put them, put them on ice on some level. Speaking of ice, obviously a snow game. They were you know, <laughs> uh, shoveling off the field at, at, at halftime, but uh, Man City are just too good. And then once they move you around a bunch and that fluidity in the team, and then when they finish on you, they're just so good that they don't need, they don't need a lot to beat you. 
And if you give them enough, they will take it almost every single time. They will find a way to beat you. If they're just 52, 53% to your 47% in terms of quality, they're going to beat you. And very few teams in the world have that type of quality. One player that stood out to me was, was Rodri. He's just... He just covers so much ground and does so much of this dirty work that makes the game predictable for the players around them and disrupts play, and he's a big body. And then also in possession of just knowing where the answers to things are. That I've just I've just grown to appreciate these sort of holding midfielders or two-way midfielders that are just so good defensively but also good in the buildup. Because a lot of times we, we talk about this where you have a holding midfielder that's your fighter that covers ground, good in mm-hmm, transition, mm-hmm. side to side, up and back, but aren't great in buildup play, aren't great on the ball, but... He just has that classic Spanish football style to him that that just always good on the ball, always wants the ball offensively and then defensively understands like I'm going to run out to the sideline and I'm going to poke this ball away. I'm going to get into a scrap, but the play stops right here. And there's these little tiny details when City are good that they don't when they don't allow teams to break pressure on them when they get out to the sideline. It's either a foul or a dead play goes out for a throw in and very rarely is it one, two, three out the other side like some of the other teams that struggle in transitional type of things. And he's a player that makes that game so predictable that allows the team to now, okay, let's get behind the ball. Let's reset. Let's do this all over again. We'll do this over and over and over again throughout the 90 minutes. That makes it really hard for teams to get into a rhythm or build up that are usually waiting for, you know, your winger type press that overcommits and you have one, two and you're out the other side. It's just, I wanted to give some credit to him as well. No, no, I'm a big fan of Rodri and still blows my mind that he didn't start nor Fernandinho in the Champions League final. I think both of those guys would have made a difference. So really quick, because I'm an equal opportunity criticizer about making subs, I just got to give a hard time to Pep Guardiola, who waited till the 87th minute to make his first and only sub of the game for Fernandinho. And guess what, Pep? It worked. He scored three minutes later to ice the game. Let's go. You know, I don't understand why you're sticking with these teams. There's so many games that are coming up. Such a condensed schedule yeah. over the next month or two. And so you got to rest those guys and, and uh, give them an opportunity to, to be fresh. You know, I think that is, is the plan. But 2-1 was the result. Uh, Lanzini scored an absolute peach of a goal to make it 2-1 at the very end. Maybe West Ham feel like they deserved a little bit more. They hung in there with them for a while. I think that should give them some confidence that they can maybe maybe scratch into the top four. I think they might have to make a move or two in the transfer window. Maybe Jesse Lingardino comes back, which I think they would be a nice add to the team and give them a little bit more flexibility. And then also they got to sign a center back after Agbana is out with an ACL. So it'll be interesting to see what their transfer window looks like in January and David Moyes in particular, but another nice performance from city only one point behind. They're just going to hang around until it's time to take off. I feel like this is the time maybe last year where they dropped a couple, maybe it was mid December. And then they went on that. They won like 27 straight games or something crazy, you know? So I feel like we're starting to, ease our way into this Man City run that could create some distance between them and everybody else. But let's take a look at the rest of the results, everybody. Liverpool. Jimmy, while that's coming up against Southampton. Yeah. Oh, oh, sorry. I thought, I thought they were going to, I thought we were going to throw that up on on the screen, but while that was coming up, I was going to say that the one thing that I I do appreciate out of city. And and when you look at the run that they had last year is that they are really comfortable being in one goal games like, and they'll have one goal games where they're very tight, but they look in control the whole way. And then you get to the final 10 minutes Right, And that's when they really lock it down. That's where you never really see teams come back to life. Whereas other teams, and that's why I like their title chances still, and similar to Chelsea, but other teams will give you a half chance here and there and you start to go, okay, there's a little bit of life left in this match, but they just seem comfortable at one goal. They don't change their style of play. They yeah. make you chase it. It's just it's just an attribute to the team that I wanted to point out. Sorry, the rest of the No, results. no problem. Let, let, me, let me run through the rest of the results and then you can pick or choose what you want to talk about. Arsenal doing the business against my Newcastle United. I actually stated that that would happen in the preview, even though it was against the club that I support. Arsenal, good on both sides of the ball. I thought Ramsdale in goal for Arsenal made a couple good saves, especially on John Joe Shelby. I think he'll be the number one for England in the World Cup of 2022. You know, I'm putting my flag on the ground, making that happen. Aston Villa, Steven Gerrard, two on the trot since coming in, winning 2-1 over Crystal Palace. That's a big win. As I mentioned before, Liverpool handling yet another team winning 4-0 over Southampton. Diego Jota scored two goals there. Mo Salah, Sadio Mane, of course, the regular usual suspects doing the business. Norwich and Wolves, 0-0, but not to be uh, outdone. Brighton and Leeds, also 0-0. Leicester, Jamie Vardy had a party, got two goals. He's in my fantasy team. Thank you very much. Leicester beat Watford 4-2. Brentford beat Everton 1-0. Everton had 13 points in the first six games of the season. They have one point in their last seven. They got Liverpool in the Merseyside Derby this week on Wednesday. So, wow, be on the lookout for that. As we already mentioned, Man City beat West Ham 2-1. Chelsea and Man United 1-1. 
So now Chelsea have a one-point lead at the top of the table. Chelsea first with 30, City with 29, Liverpool 28, and then it drops to West Ham at 23. Arsenal also on 23. But there was one game in particular, Heath, Burnley versus Tottenham, that got snowed out, mm -hmm. and they didn't play it. It's going to be postponed, and I feel like we should spare a thought for some Spurs fans who traveled 30, 31 hours from Dallas, Texas to go to this game. And now they're screwed. <laughs> Do you think, let's just talk about Spurs really quick. And I know that tweet will come up here very shortly on the screen. Do you feel like Spurs benefited from having a little bit of this break? Or do you feel like they needed a game to kind of redeem themselves after losing to Mira in the, in the 98th minute in the conference league? Yeah, I don't know. I just feel, I, I don't know how, what the, how this bounces back. Obviously, it, 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 when's the replay? Did they say when the replay is this? Is this tomorrow? No, I haven't. I mean, they, uh, they, I don't, they've I don't got know, so actually. many games coming up. I just don't know where you fit this uh, when you think about, when you think about them and, and the amount of games they have still playing in Europe and things like that. So it feels like this can only hurt. Maybe this uh, takes away any sort of break that they had somewhere in some window uh, to be able to play the game. Uh, but, but shout out to, to, to the, to the, to the people that did that much traveling. That's, that's a lot of traveling. It's like traveling. It's, I mean, it's how we traveled in MLS always for MLS games. You know what I mean? That's what it was like. It's <laughs> like, yeah, like to be a player right. if you were somewhere in the in middle the, of the, in country. the middle seat, in the middle yeah. seat. In yeah. In but, but yeah, that, that, that sucks to go out that far and, and it's unfortunate. Hopefully the club sees that does something about that and, and, and takes care of them the right way. All right. Any other games, any quick stories that yeah. really caught your eye or any results? Yeah, quickly for me is just uh, Aston Villa looked much better defensively with Steven Gerrard coming in. They just look a better team defensively. And obviously, at this point last year, I think they were similar around the amount of goals that they scored, except that goal distribution is being taken on uh, across the board with the club now and no longer being reliant on Jack Grealish to create everything offensively. So I feel like they've got this nice little balance of, hey, we're actually different uh, uh, attacking-wise, and we have a number of players stepping up to score the goals, but defensively, we're sound now. And I think Steven Gerrard having just that international break to be able to get the team together or at least build a little bit of a system has made a huge difference. And then obviously uh, Arsenal is the other uh, other point that Arsenal are, are legitimately, I said, let's judge them over to, to, to match windows because that's sort of what you have to with these young right. players and sort of the pressure that's on them. Bounce back really well, played really well, obviously against, against your Newcastle uh, side and are now a legitimate contender to make the top four. And, and just wanted to give a shout out to that because it was a pretty complete uh, performance. And, and again, the young players really stepping up in these matches. No, I'm excited to see Arsenal because, as we've discussed prior, pretty good against the teams they should beat. There's the teams that maybe they're a little bit more even on with on paper or 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 maybe even behind the struggle. They lost to Chelsea 2-0, Man City 5-0, Liverpool 4-0. Jimmy, we don't have to go down this route. I, I'm just saying they, that they're that playing they're against play, they're, they're playing, playing against one of the wealthiest clubs in all of the land, and okay. they they got a result over the weekend. I all mean, right. Newcastle right. are very uh, here rich. we go. I love that they're a huge twist. club. Uh, okay. They're just okay. not at their best right now. And Arsenal. Well, speaking speaking of a club that has a ton of money, let's go over to Liga really quick and talk about PSG away from home at Saint-Étienne. They were down 1-0 in this game, but came back with three goals. Messi had three assists and, and some very good assists. That's first. Second, it just felt really weird, everyone. Sergio Ramos made his first ever start, and it just felt weird to see him high-five Messi after, after a goal. Like, what is happening? This is a parallel universe. What were your thoughts about those two guys? I mean, we, we could envision it when they first made the move to PSG, but this is the first time that we actually saw it happen. Those two, well, rivals for so long that would always get into it. And Ramos, I don't know how many swipes he, he free swipes he took at Messi over the years with Barcelona and Real Madrid games, but now they're friends. <laughs> so yeah. that feels a little weird. How are you feeling about it? Well, one, it just reminds us of just how big uh, that rivalry between Barcelona and Real Madrid was at its peak and how much those players truly hated each other. And I still think that's the case now, but we're in just a different era of La Liga that it's a little bit different. But I never would have thought, you know, I, I when I envision it, I, I, I think about Messi scoring and wanting to run to Ramos and Ramos running to run over or scores his goal. And they don't know, like, are we fist bumping, high five, we <laughs> hug, and it's like the awkward, awkward, like you haven't seen grandma in a couple of years now and you don't know what's going to happen. Like, does she give you the little hug or the big squeeze? <laughs> uh, but no, it's 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 amazing, amazing thing to see. And obviously the evolution of that relationship is is pretty cool. And one that I think while we laugh about it and joke about the fact that they're they're on the field together, Probably one of the most important relationships in making this team a formidable team in Europe mm -hmm. this season mm -hmm. is going to be, one, the respect that Messi shows Ramos and allows Ramos to say, hey, I might scream at you a couple of times or I might have to yell at you. I might have to go hard on a few of these players and I need you to back me up and know that this is for the best of the team because defensively we're crap 
and that's not just the back line. We're just as a unit, very, very poor for what we, for what we could be. We rely too heavily on stars to, to, to win, win us games. And I feel like that the building of that relationship is going to be really important for, for Ramos to be on the field and say, Hey, this is now my team. You know, you guys are the stars, but this is my team and I've got a job to do. So I hope that you respect that. And I think again, them being on the field more, them having an understanding or them having a friendship or whatever we want to call it mm-hmm. is probably one of, if not the most important factor in building this PSG team this season. Yeah, that's a, a great shout. And I like uh, your opinion on that one. Natalie Cross has got a question. Can we talk about Neymar's latest injury? I like that segue. Thank you for that, Natalie. Is losing him actually a good thing for PSG? That's a tough, tough question because... I feel like if if PSG are going to really build the rapport that they need, not necessarily to to win Liga, they got a twelve point lead already after fifteen games. They're cruising in Liga, but but in Europe, they need all three of those guys on the field at the same time. In my humble opinion, and it would be hard to leave one of them off if they're healthy and sit them on the bench. I'm just just to throw that out there. Neymar did have uh, it was a tackle that wasn't that bad of a tackle, but when he goes to step down to jump out of the way, his his ankle gets pinched. Heath and I have most likely done that in our careers. My hands are sweating. Anytime you say it, my hands start sweating. Yeah, I don't know. It's really hard to know how severe he's, you know, his ligaments and and everything. It didn't look like a break, but it could be, I could see like a four to six weeker. When I Mm -hmm. say that, before I get your thoughts, Heath, the next four to six weeks are pretty significant for PSG. They have Nice, who are doing very well. Uh, They're in the top top three in in Liga. Lance, who's in fifth. Then they got Club Brugge, a match day six in the Champions League. Just got to see that one out. And then they got Monaco. So so the next month is, the next three weeks really are, are pretty difficult. I do though think it's an opportunity for somebody else to step up and maybe find better balance. Though I feel like Di Maria is the obvious choice to fill in. And he is arguably a superstar in his own right. He just has to share the limelight with, you know, five, six other guys that might be considered a little bit better. Yeah, I think it's a little bit of a loaded question in terms of like, are is it better for them? Just because you know the answer, as we talked about before, it's it's hard to imagine a team being better without the best players in the world playing together mm-hmm, on mm-hmm. the field. However, I think it's a good problem to have because now, like you said, you can actually go with a little bit more of a balance and think through it a little bit differently. If you're Pochettino, you're able to start like looking at this through a different lens, right? You're you're no longer forced to be like, okay, well, those are the three, and now we've got to figure out what we do next. And also, when he does come back. You're going to work him back in. Let's not forget that, like, Neymar misses, I don't know, 20, 15 games a year uh, due to injury. This is a very common thing, and now you have more players on the field, and it could create a little bit balance where, like we talked about earlier on in the year, it would actually be best-case scenario if Messi and and Neymar were rotating games. You play plenty of games, or you're saving yeah. them, you're balancing imagine, them. Imagine that. The <laughs> yeah, high five. You want to see a high five of them coming on and off, you know. Sergio Ramos doing a three-way high five with all of them being like, guys, we're all having fun. Don't be mad that you're getting subbed off at halftime. <laughs> but no, I think I think there is an opportunity for balance here. And you say four to six weeks, and obviously we're speculating. I'm it guessing. Shorter, yeah. could be longer. Yeah, but then when you work them back in, you can get get a half out of them, or maybe it's 60 minutes or, or whatever it is. And maybe by then, you've got a little bit clearer of a picture of your team. And again, I don't know if that's actually going to be the case. I don't know him being out. It's going to solve, again, some of the problems that PSG have in terms of being cohesive or being a better quote unquote team. Uh, but it certainly makes it, I think a little bit easier in terms of squad selection and building a little more balance. Yeah. Balance is key. Uh, not only for PSG for, but for a bunch of teams, including this podcast, we like to have a little bit of balance. So we're going to take a quick break, but when we return, we're talking Serie A craziness. What a season Serie A has been this season. La Liga are things getting back to normal with the top three winning consistently. Xavi back. I love him. As a manager unbeaten since he's come back to lead Barcelona. Atletico Madrid scoring more than one goal in a game. It's all popping off. Then we have Copa Lipidadores, MLS playoffs. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. 
Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. All right, everybody. I'm Jimmy Conrad alongside Heath Pierce. And this is our weekly roundup on Sunday. We love to be a part of it with you guys. Listen, hit the subscribe button either on audio or right now on YouTube because we're doing this live on YouTube. Hit that subscribe button. Leave us a comment. We want to hear from you. And if you're listening to this, hit us up on the Twitters and we can have a conversation about whether you like us or don't like. It doesn't matter. We're friendly. We don't bite. Sometimes. Depends on what you say. (laughs) No pressure. All right, Heath, let's get into some Serie A because... There's a lot to get into. AC Milan lost after going up 1-0 versus Suolo at the San Siro. Gave up three goals. That's nuts. Napoli looked fantastic against Lazio. Lazio decided not to defend. Victor Osimhen, who? They don't even need him. We were talking about how big of a component he is to the success of Napoli. And they came out flying. Dries Mertens was on fire. And then we have Juventus, who loses to Atalanta at home. Duvon Zapata scores. His seventh goal in seven straight club games. What a beast Duvon Zapata is. I love, I love, I can't believe he's still at Atalanta. I thought a team would buy him at this particular point. Of those three games, where, where do you want to get into? I don't, I, where do you want to start? Well, I'd like to start with my dear AC Milan. I call them my dear just because they're one of the first teams <laughs> that I liked as a child. But obviously, I haven't followed them, followed them religiously uh, all of the time. But just a club that, I hold in high regard, so to speak. And I remember again last year when they started to crumble a little bit and we, you could see it sort of coming. And this year I was like, you know what? They're, they're, they're better for it, right? They're battle-hardened. They've been through it. They know how to grind out results again. They know how to get these one zeros. They don't give up a ton of goals. But then they've just been poor defensively and they're just giving up a lot of goals at the moment. And I talked about the fact that if they were 10 points clear with just a Napoli these guys are champions. If there was, if Napoli and them had that sort of 10 point gap at, at the end, now everybody's together. Napoli's still up top, but now you're looking at this crunched up window where it's seeing a point between Real Madrid or sorry, Real Madrid, uh, AC Milan and, and Inter Milan. I think there's only a point, a point gap there between them and the table. I could be mm-hmm. off by mm-hmm. a, a no, point you're right. two, but, but it's, it's very, very close. And now AC Milan who are in poor form, not getting the results that they need, not doing well in Europe, but still a chance to squeak through. I'm like, man, which is it? Because if it's fine if you're not doing well in Europe, if you're doing well in the league and you could sort of make that your focus and have, have this sort of like kind of rose-colored lenses of, of doing poor in Europe. But right now I'm just worried about them and where they'll finish. I, I don't even see them in a top three if, if they're going to kin- continue with the form that they're having up right now. Obviously, Sassuolo aren't an easy opponent, but for AC Milan to give up three goals uh, to them, that's that's a major problem for me. I mean, what of, of those three games, I mean, what's your uh, biggest concern for any of these well, teams? Let's let's give everybody the, the table really quick, just so you know. Napoli's on top of 35 points. Uh, Milan's got 32, though they haven't won. Uh, they won in their last three, drawn two losses. Inter Milan, uh, 31 points. Atalanta, 28. Roma, who won 1-0. Tammy Abraham, notching that one over Torino, 25 points. Fiorentina, 21. Juve, 21. Lazio, 21. And I bring up Fiorentina, Juve, and Lazio on 21 because they are closer in points to the relegation zone than they yeah. are to the top of the table. They're 14 seven, points away from Napoli. From top four. 14, I, it's crazy. But, but 14 points off the top of the table and only 11 points away from the relegation zone. I'd be a little nervous if I supported any well, three of those teams. But, but with regard to, to results, I, I'm actually pretty surprised with Lazio. I, I, though Napoli came out fired and scored some tremendous goals and were just busy. I just thought I was going to see a little bit something different from Rizzo Sarri and his team, and they just never got a grip of the game, and it was done at halftime. It was done after 20 minutes. It was insane. With regard to, to Milan, I guess I'm fearful a little bit because at some point they weren't going to be able to keep up that that under, you know 12 games unbeaten to start the season with, with 10 wins and two draws. That was just... For me, he always uh, doing halftime substitutions now. I think he did two of them. Like there, there's just there seems to be a little bit of lack of trust. And again, maybe there's rotation there, but they're pretty much. Uh, I mean, they got an opportunity in, in Europe still, but it's, the chances are, are are very low for I think uh, to, to go through. But my Jimmy, by the way, on with regard to that, it's it's a sad day when when we're talking about the the underperformers being Lazio and AC Milan, but Juventus are seven points out of the top four. True, like Champions League spots that we're talking about with regard to Juventus. This is a team 
that won almost they won everything for a decade straight. And and now we're talking about the fact that they might not make the top four. Where they're at right now and the way that they're playing the inconsistency, they're not a top four team in Syria. And now that's not to discredit some of the other teams that are playing very well to fight right. that Syria, but it's not exactly a season. No one's undefeated anymore. No one's sort of running away other than Napoli in terms of their form. Uh, AC Milan hit a rough patch. Inter Milan are, are, are playing well again. Roma are, are staying tight. Atalanta are doing okay. But this is usually the context of a year where you have Juventus sitting way up top going, yeah, 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 they're all having solid years, <laughs> give or take somebody here and there. But we're, we're out here. This is the bar that we're setting. None of you can catch us because none of you can get to this consistency. Now Juventus have to fight for their lives to make a top four. No, I, just to give everybody some fun facts, uh, Juve's had a pretty bad week. They're coming off their heaviest defeat ever in the Champions League, 4-0 to Chelsea. They're being investigated for fraud right now. They obviously have that scandal in their past, which doesn't lend itself any favors, and the jokes just write themselves. And then, uh, of course, Atalanta, the, losing to them 1-0, has been compounded by the injuries to Weston McKinney and Chiesa, who both had to come out of that game. So... Mm-hmm. For me, though, the Juventus thing, when I look at the results, I guess I'm just not surprised that Atalanta beat Juve. I, I'm pretty sure we were on the show on Thursday saying that we thought, we predicted that Atalanta would beat Juve for all the reasons that are kind of swirling around the club. So I'm not really that surprised. Now, them beating, beating, getting beat by Chelsea 4-0 was a bit of a surprise. Lazio, for me, getting beat 4-0 is a surprise. Milan, given their form, a bit of a surprise. But the, the Juve team, not as much. And I don't know, it's a combination of things. One, they might be in that transition period where they've got some older guys that are maybe getting a little bit too old and some younger guys that maybe haven't taken on the same responsibilities they should, or they don't seem like a very balanced team in terms of the starting lineup. And then you have Maxi Allegri, who I think came in and was like, oh yeah, we're going to play a little bit more attacking. And then he realized that I need to be a little bit more defensive to get results and has taken the fun out of it for some of these players. I think he's gotten kind of Diego Simeone-esque, even though Simeone they scored four goals and a half against Cadiz and Atletico Madrid, but we'll get into them in a second. So Juve, I'm not surprised. And they're just in this weird transition phase where I don't think they know what their best 11 is. And when you don't know what your best 11 is, you lack identity. Yeah. Do you think it's, do you think it's your, your, the, do you think it's a player-based thing in the modern game? Do you think that there's a little bit of like, not just, I guess you're right. I mean, the identity could come from a system or style of play but it's hard to know if that style of play works if you're if you don't have an 11 that you know can execute that game plan and it leaves you sort of tinkering with a back 3, back 4, 4 5 1, 4 4 2, 3 3 1 whatever mm-hmm. whatever and so yeah that makes sense yeah I was kind of working through my thoughts there. No, no, it's fine. I mean that's that's a cool part about doing the podcast is that we can work through our our thoughts on this. I thought Dybala was pretty sharp all things considered. Um you know, it's not like Bonucci was okay too. It wasn't like they're it's not like they're that bad. It's just, it's hard to say. I mean, there was only three shots on goal combined for both teams in this game. Not a big surprise. And we knew that Atalanta needed to kind of tighten things up defensively, and they did, getting a clean sheet. But yeah, and it was just, it was a two pass, it was a two pass turnover to a goal to beat, to right, beat right. Juventus. And if that's all it takes to beat Juventus, then teams are going to just fight it out. And obviously, Dybala had an opportunity that was just yep. off the bar, just wide of the bar and a free kick. But, you know, it, it wasn't like that they were outplayed. But it just took one, and then Atalanta got that goal. Once Atalanta got that 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 goal, they they just said, "Okay, we're going to make it hell for you, and we're willing to suffer to to get these points." And at, and at that point, you expect Juventus to have a lot more energy and a lot more emphasis and take more risks. But instead, uh, it was just a little lackluster. And again, when I think about this, when I think about this, Jimmy, and I think about Weston McKinney and the role that they're asking him there. Mm-hmm. I don't see him as a true attacking player. I see him as a, as an eight an eight and a half. Maybe that's a late runner in the box that can combine that can score your goals. But when I think about the fact of what the expectation is for him from an attacking standpoint, it does make me worry that perhaps they don't have anybody else that they're looking to. And that he's one of the few that they're like, well, we're going to need more goals out of him. Granted, <laughs> yeah, he's a starter for a team called Juventus, sure. which is one of the biggest clubs in the world. And he should be able to contribute more if he's in a, if he's in an advanced position or playing in an advanced position. But when I think about that and how I see him versus what they want from him, I'm like, man, maybe they are a little desperate in terms of the expectations and what they're trying to get from their players on the field. But maybe we should be higher, holding him to a higher standard as well. I, I don't know. I'd love to pick his brain, to be honest, because when I see where he's set up, they have him out wide right in a traditional 4-4-2. But we know that Juan Cuadrado is going to be the guy that's kind of the up and down. that's going to create the width for the team, which allows him to actually pinch in and find that space to... Yeah, or, or really identify where the space is, the half spaces between the lines to pick up the ball. And, and he does actually, I think, run a little bit more forward 
for Juve than he does, or at least he's expected to, than, than the U.S. It's it's interesting. I'd love to, even if we can't get him on the show, I'd like to just hear his thoughts if he could yeah. ever, if we could get to him. That would be a, a lot of fun. But let's take a look now at all the results from Serie A. And you can tell me if there's any story that stands out. I actually wouldn't mind hearing about your your Roma thoughts. Uh, Cagliari 1-1 was Salernitana. That was on Friday. Empoli. Coming back from a goal down, Dusan Vlahovic for Fiorentina scores his league-leading 11th goal. But Empoli, who just got promoted this up this past season, excuse me, comes back to win. That's a big result. Sampdoria 3-1 over Hell Yes Verona or Hellas Verona. Uh, Verona were unbeaten in their last six, so big result there from Sampdoria. Atalanta 1-0 over Juve. Inter heading down to Venice to get the big 2-0 win over Venezia. They actually were the better team in that. Venezia, he likes to hang around pretty solid at home, but couldn't get it done. Udinese in Genoa, 0-0. Bologna beat Spezia, 0-1 away from home. Sassuolo over Milan. Roma over Torino, 1-0. And Napoli, 4-0 over Lazio. So talk to me about Roma a little bit. Let's just get into them. I think that's the game I want to hear your thoughts on. They're now in fifth, four points away from six, three points away from the top four. And yeah. doing just enough in the conference league. You know, do you think Mourinho... Has had his little petulant, you know, all mad at my players. They're not good enough thing. And or are we going to go? Is it just kind of a rinse and repeat with this guy throughout a season? Yeah, I think that it, it seems like they're settling into something a little bit different, right? Where we went to this like you know high flying. Hey, this is uh, everybody gets to hang out with the cool uncle. That's Jose Mourinho. <laughs> to then him not having the players or the quality that he wants. Him realizing. That managing a Roma side is very different than anywhere that he's ever managed before, which I respect him going out on a limb. I don't think he needs the money. I don't think he needs uh, anything but the challenge and the stimulation of trying to to do something, uh, perhaps, uh, you know, champagne dreams on a beer budget or whatever whatever his motivation is. It seems like a, a, a positive thing. And now they've won three straight across all competitions. Um, obviously the, the, the Europa one's not that important, but again, three in a row is really important towards building confidence, especially going into this time of the year where you have a lot of games, uh, that you have to match up in. And so uh, Tammy Abraham scoring, I think you're just starting to see a little bit of, of something take shape. Uh, and hopefully that, that rides out into, you know, what, what, what Jose Mourinho is best at when he's best is turning those three game runs into 15 game runs where mm -hmm, before mm -hmm. you know it, you're like, oh man, they're unbeaten in 12. And they've only got one loss in the middle of there and they bounce back. And like, that's what he's really good at is getting this belief system. And you have to hope that you hit that run of form, which he didn't do when he was at Spurs, where you round the corner. And before you know it, you're challenging for something significant, whether that's a Champions League spot for Roma or whatever it is uh, for Roma, that that is the motivating factor this year before he burns all of them out, because he ultimately will burn all of them out. And it seemed like I, I, it's almost like somebody talked to him was like, hey, man, you burned them out. You're burning them out quicker than you usually do. OK, like take a step back. Have a little consistency, build a little bit of something there, be part of a, a project that's bigger than yourself. Right. It, it's unrealistic to think that this Roma side was was a title challenger as it is. I think he, he does a good job of getting the most out of his players, but he needs to continue this run of saying three games. Let's turn that into again another 10 right. or 12 right. games unbeaten. And then and then we can have a conversation about what this team looks like. All right, let's talk a little bit about Brian Reynolds since we're talking about Roma. It definitely seems out of favor. He was part of that 6-1 thrashing at Bodo Glint in the in the what, Conference League. What mm -hmm. I, I'm hearing that he's on the outs. And, and I assume that if Mourinho doesn't buy what you're selling early on, it's going to be really hard to win him back over. Unless you're out of practice and training, like putting it in and keeping your mouth shut and doing your job. Not to say that Brian Reynolds isn't doing that, but I wonder what his future looks like. And, and do you think his future should be elsewhere so he can get some minutes? Absolutely. And by the way, for our USMNT hour that we're doing tomorrow, I think we should, and maybe not tomorrow's, but in an upcoming episode, we should talk about players on the move that, that yeah, American yeah. players that we think need to make a move to Good have any chance going forward. So Des, write that down before we forget. We're, <laughs> we're, we're, we're brainstorming live right now. Man. Okay. Okay. Really you know what? Let, let's save that then for the U.S. Men's National Team Hour because that's a great okay. conversation to have. Let's go back to Juventus then. Where do you think they're going to finish? Everybody listening or, or watching, where do you think Juve is going to finish before we leave Serie A and move on to La Liga this season? I do want to say their next five or six games, pretty, not say easy, but they should get results. So they got Sauer Natana, then yep. Genoa, then Malmo yep. in the Champions League. Now, if they beat Malmo and Zenit get a result against Chelsea, they'll get first in their group, and that's important, right, for the knockout rounds, mm -hmm. and and uh, Chelsea would get second. So, But if they don't, you know, who never, who knows? But they got Malmo, who they should beat. They got Venezia, and they got Bologna, and then Cagliari before they, they run into Napoli, Roma, and then Milan, and it gets crazy. 
How many? I mean, they should win all of those, right? On paper, that's four of the bottom five teams that they'll play, or no, three of three of the bottom five teams. So they'll play Venezia, they'll play Genoa, they'll play Salernitana. Salernitana twentieth place, Genoa eighteenth place. Yeah, none of them are in in, in good form. They, Very got to get them, three points at all. You know, if they, they want to contend, if they want to contend, wins, two wins on the Hums, year. Hums is saying six. Yeah. Hums is saying six. Venezia, Venezia are a little bit of a of a sleeper team. That's where we've seen, we, we've seen them; they're they're settling in a little bit, but they're quickly that you know they quickly it's they're at that position of the year where they quickly fall down and they're close to relegation. Then they can jump back up to mid table because everything's close. But when I think about Bologna, your mid table team there, and then who who was the other one that you mentioned? Was it uh, uh, Bologna, Cagliari, Cagliari? Yeah, Cal- yeah. So it is. It is three, three, four <laughs> of the, four of the bottom five teams. It was yeah, Cagliari. So you have twentieth, nineteenth place, eighteenth place, and sixteenth place that you're playing, and then you have your your Bologna side, which are going to be your win one, lose one, win one, lose one type of team all year long, and finish somewhere probably be- just below middle of the table. So those are all winnable games, and those are games that you should be salivating at the mouth of the fact that those teams have continued to struggle in the way that they have. Your team is rounding into form, and that's going to be your test because those teams aren't going to play you straight up like most other teams are. Their priorities, for anybody, I've played in a relegation fighting team. Your priorities are very, very different. You are just literally fighting to survive, to get points out of any single game. You're not going, you're not playing your home games where it's like, win your home games, draw your away games. You're like, just try to get points. And so if you're in a bad run of form like that, you're just fighting and scrapping and you'll mm-hmm. play a certain system one day, you'll try something new the next day, you're rotating the squad, doing whatever you can to get points and that can be hard to play against. But if you're Roma, you're like, Hey, we're Roma. We go down, we play against bottom of the table. We should be able to get literally three points against every single one of them. Yeah. That's going to be tough. Uh, Honestly, we can look at any team in any league. If you don't beat the teams that you should beat, you don't have any chance of winning the trophy. This is not going to happen. And this is going to be quite interesting. They lost to Empoli earlier in the season. If you remember that one zero, all right, let's move over to La Liga and let's just talk about the big three Real Madrid. Down 1-0 off of a set piece to Rafa Mir for Sevilla mm-hmm. at the Bernabeu. And then goalkeeper makes an air bono for Sevilla. Kareem Benzema follows it up, makes it 1-1. And then Vinicius Jr., baby. Vinicius Jr. Who had been quite, he, he wasn't very, he, he had a pretty, he wasn't. for how good he's been, he's had a, he had a very average match. He scored an absolute peach of a goal, a banger, top corner. Dig it out of your net, Alex Bono, to win the game and get all three points for Madrid. Uh, that made it 2-1. That's his ninth goal in 14 La Liga games this season. That is one more goal, everybody, than in his previous 82 games for Real Madrid in this competition. That is ridiculous. That kid is on a different level right now, and his confidence is crazy, and confidence is a hell of a drug if you have it. And if you don't, it sucks because you don't like, how do I get my confidence back? And then let's just move on. Uh, Jimmy, Barcelona. real quick, I just have to yeah, throw go, go, a yeah, quick, talk to me. Talk to me about that you 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 called Yusun Bono uh, Alex Bono, who's a different goalkeeper, who's an oh, American that's one. That's uh, right. That that's not that's a different goalkeeper, but they're both sorry. goalkeepers. Kind of crazy. I, sorry, Spelled sorry, differently, sorry. but yeah. All right, it's uh, it's wait, which goal? It's um. Anyway, Yassine. it's Yassine Yassine Bono. Yes, but yeah, they yeah. spell it different. Yeah. Sorry about that. I was so like focused on Bono that I just yeah. thought Alex Bono right away. Yeah. Okay, I appreciate the correction. Now. Let's talk about the other the other games very quickly, and I want to get your thoughts on all of them. You can kind of pick and choose. But Atletico Madrid, 0-0 at half, away to Cadiz, and they scored four goals in the second half. I thought the interplay, Griezmann was, was busy, Correa, uh, Thomas Lamar got on the score sheet. Very good performance in the second half, and I think Atleti fans and the team, everybody needed it. They ended up giving a pretty sloppy goal. Oblak, go watch that one. It's ridiculous. 4-1 ends up the final. The Villarreal-Barcelona one was the, was the interesting one. There was some... Um, uh, calls that I think Barcelona maybe had their way. A PK handball that wasn't Eric Garcia manhandling Albiol that got waved off and and uh, uh, somewhat of a dubious penalty awarded against Espanyol, if you remember back in Xavi's first game in charge. But Barcelona come up and win 3-1 against the Villarreal yeah. team that seemed to only be good in the Europa League and really suck it anywhere else. They, they were actually, <laughs> uh, Barcelona were really lucky in this game. Like Barcelona shouldn't have gotten any points. This is the worst performance that Xavi's actually put out. Some Just a very bizarre, I, I I don't remember who it was that posted on the internet that it said that Barcelona were just making up names for the players because if you looked at the lineup, it was just a bunch of uh, young guys. But a lot of them didn't look ready to play in this match. And if you are Villarreal, you are hugely disappointed somehow being up uh, I believe they're up one nil, um, but but not getting three points out of this game when you were by far the better side. I think Barcelona scored two in the in the in the final ten minutes of Couple the game. Minutes, yeah. Um, yeah, 
and and just not a very good team. Really struggled to, in their buildup to solve problems defensively, not knowing who who goes, who steps, who drops. Just again, really working through a number of things. But to come out again, it's it's better to sort of get a result and 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 learn from that mm-hmm. when you know that you perhaps you didn't deserve that. But I thought Barcelona were really poor in this one. But being able to get a result like that does have some sort of merit, especially with the squad that they put out on the field. But again, I'm looking at this team going. Wow, that is not a not a great look for Xavi. Also, the system that he played seemed a little bit confusing and a work in progress. But overall, to get three points, it's great. Uh, but I thought uh, Villarreal were by far a better side in this one and much more of a complete team. But at the end and of the day... And they had a chance early, too, where uh, uh, Danjuma had a chance. They they bad back pass and from Eric Garcia that led to Danjuma's... Not necessarily one-on-one. PK was sliding over. But all he had to do was play it across to Trigueros. And Trigueros yeah. would have had a tap. And instead, he tries to shoot. And PK... Makes a heroic uh, tackle. Also, to, Eric to Garcia is not a fullback. No, no he's chance. not. He's Can't not. Be. But Frankie De Jong scored first right after halftime. Mm-hmm. Uh, Samuel Chukwesi made it 1-1. You think the Villarreal, given their defensive prowess, especially under Unai Emery, would lock it down at that point or, or try to maybe nick it on a, a set piece late. They give up two goals in the last three minutes, Memphis to pie, and then Philippe Coutinho got a penalty in his favor, ended up stepping up and taking it. So good to see Coutinho citing everybody. Well, but But now the standings, when we look at La Liga, you have Madrid on top with 33, Atletico on 29, Real Sociedad, surprise losers to Espanol. They're on 29, Sevilla 28, Betis on 27, Raya Vallecano, I'm still going, everybody, on 24. And then we get to Barcelona, who are on 23, but two wins and and uh, for and a draw for, for Xavi since taking over. How are you feeling uh, about him? And, and do you feel like there's still some naivete as, as you mentioned a little bit before about his about his tactics i will say if you haven't seen him on the sideline he is he's looking sharp like he's super like got the sneakers designer jeans i'm really oh, yeah. feeling his vibe on the sideline just to throw that out there yeah no I, I i like i like the energy at the club right now it feels like remember when barcelona were this huge club and no one could break this vault of information that was inside that it was the sort of that that Mesque type of like mentality of like we do we keep everything in house the rumors don't come mm-hmm. out we, everything mm-hmm. we settle in here there's no big egos we're all about the club nothing's bigger than us type of thing it feels like he kind of came in and everybody looked to again this figurehead of what it means to play for this club and at least taking some of the pressure off that I think was unrealistic or unwarranted that I think um was was just sort of a band-aid over a larger problem and is starting to correct some of that. Again, some of the players that you're playing, his his him forcing uh La Masia players to come through, academy players to start playing matches, I think is really important. And it's changing the narrative, knowing that it turns it into being like, oh, I can solve all the problems to being uh, a project. And when it became a project right. and and having a figurehead that people bought into and trusted and believed in and is obviously a legend, I think it's now shifted the narrative and fans seem to be like, okay, we're on the right track. We're not playing well. We might not play well for a while, but at least we have a direction that we're going in instead of saying, you know, insert insert new manager here to try to solve all of these problems overnight. Oh, so much to get into. I love the recaps, but also like, ah, oh, what do we talk about? There's so many narratives and, and fun storylines for, for a lot of the clubs around the world. But we're going to keep this moving. I want to get your thoughts on Erling Haaland. He came back after his uh, injury stints, and he scored within seven minutes against Wolfsburg, where, Mm -hmm. unfortunately, our very own John Anthony Brooks got caught with his hand in the cookie jar, but uh, the laps and marking, and Holland nodded that one home. Dortmund wins 3-1 away from home. That's a pretty big result for them, especially, and a good time for early Holland to come back because they play Bayern Munich this Saturday. That is going to be a really cracking affair, as I like to say. Copa Libertadores, as I mentioned at the very beginning, Palmeiras retained the title. The first club to do that since 2000 and 2001 with Boca Juniors. It's their third title overall, beating Flamengo. Now, it looked like it was shaping up to be the 2019 final where Flamengo, led by Gabby Goal, scored two goals late over River Plate to win 2-1. They scored early, Palmeiras, in the fifth minute. Gabby Goal scored in the 72nd minute. You thought, here he goes again. Gabby Goal is going to snatch a late winner. It doesn't happen. And a mistake by former Manchester United player, Andres Pereira, where he had a Steven Gerrard-esque slip led to the second goal for Palmeiras in the 96th minute. They were in, and not necessarily, they were in overtime or extra time, whatever you want to call it at that point. And they held on in the 120th minute to win it. That is a big deal. I do want to give a shout out. David Luis, Arsenal Chelsea fame, plays for Flamengo now. His, uh, and maybe he was crying afterwards. We always like a good David, David Luis uh, meme <laughs> with him crying. Then we got MLS playoffs. Uh, Philadelphia Union hosting Nashville right now. That game is currently kicking off and playing, but 
as much as I'm wearing a Sporting Kansas City jersey, they were up 1-0 today, and they gave up two late goals to lose to Salt Lake at home. I'm absolutely gutted right now, and I don't even really know what to say about it other than how is that even possible? We're at home! It hurts! It hurts! It hurts! But uh, any of those stories you want to get into, Heath Pierce, anything else you want to add, I am all years, and so is everybody else. Yeah, the last, the, the only thing that I wanted to add is just how uh, good Leverkusen are right now. Obviously, mm, going punch, going to punch for punch with Celtic uh, in the middle of the week in Europe, and then and then beating RB Leipzig, which again puts Jesse March back into a weird hot seat. Tyler Adams not getting the minutes that I would expect of him to be getting right now. It seems like, again, you talked about earlier not knowing your best 11. I feel like RB Leipzig are in a little bit of a weird identity crisis so far this season, just trying to figure out some of the holes that they left behind when they've, you know, as they've moved players on um, to to bigger bigger clubs. So just just one there. But Florian Verts and Diaby were fantastic midweek, played again on the weekend, and uh, both had goals against an RB Leipzig side and playing. I think it was. I think let me just. I think it was away from home. But well, let's talk about fantastic. that really quick. Do you fear for Jesse Marsh's job at RB Leipzig? Like we're getting to the point now where it's they know I know they know him and they love him and everything's great, but results are results are results. Yeah, I'm a I mean, nervous. I'm a nervous it, for him. It, I, I am nervous. It was one of those things where again I looked at this weekend, especially playing against the Leverkusen side, where you go, okay, this is a this is a big club that's up against another big club. You win this, you go to 21 points that puts you in fifth place in the league. You're now talking about competing for a top four. Maybe you're not going to catch Dortmund or Bayern this year, but you're still competing with a Leverkusen who would have been on 21 points. And now they're on 24. You would have been on mm-hmm. 21 yourself. So you're you're actually you know in that top four conversation with Hoffenheim. You think that you can see it out more consistently than Freiburg. But then when you don't, it dro- you, keep, you stay at that 18 points. And it's 18 all the way down to almost the bottom. Right, you're 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 now uh, not that many points away from the relegation zone. So it's kind of one of those things where it still feels too early to tell which way you're going to go. But it, but you got to start having a string of results where you can get seven points every three games, something like that. And they just haven't had that yet. Where they look close, where they're like, oh, they're going to get there, and they fall back to middle of the table. And you have that too long, you 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 live and die in the middle of the table, and that's just not good enough for RB Leipzig. I'm not saying. January is the time to move him because I do feel oh, like I get Jesse it. Marsh is part of part of the program there. Uh, but but every time they have a moment to really correct their season and really make that jump back up into a top four, top five, they sort of squander it. It is worth mentioning that Jesse Marsh is still in quarantine. He had COVID. He wasn't on the sideline for their midweek game against Club Brugge. They won that one 5-0. I'm like, man, look how good they are without Jesse Marsh even being on the sideline. And I guess that didn't repeat itself. So I don't maybe that is a good thing that they, they do need his presence at all times for them to have success. But definitely something worth keeping an eye on. And just so everybody knows, Bayern Munich, 31 points. Dortmund have 30. They play again against each other this upcoming weekend. That's going to be ridiculous. Leverkusen on 24. Freiburg on 22. Hoffenheim, 22. Leipzig on 18. But I wanted to give you an update on that. Now, one last thing, actually. I said final thoughts, but I want one more because we got the Ballon d'Or announcement tomorrow. And there might be an emergency pod. You guys need to be able to look out for an emergency pod tomorrow about the Ballon d'Or. Who do you think... Will win, Heath Pearson. Who do you want to win? Okay. Uh, Lewandowski. And I think he will win, and I want him to win. If he doesn't, I might literally just quit the industry just because of the fact that, like, he got screwed of there not being a 2020. He's still a right. fantastic top form player. I think, obviously, the problem w- is that the, uh, the, um, if, if you're rolling in, it just, it just depends how far they're going to go back and if they're playing favorites. But this is, again, a year that is one that should be Lewandowski. He's been the top striker, I think, in the world. Or I would go with Benzema. I'm not going with Ronaldo, and I'm not going with Messi. Uh, I'm just going with ones that I think have been prolific. I'm playing a little bit of like uh, heritage to these ones where I'm giving them some credit for their history, but still being in top form now. I'm talking about 2020 as well. Players that haven't always had. uh, I mean, I guess Benzema's had top player. So is is Lewandowski. Uh, So I don't want to make it seem like it's against all odds. But they are just fantastic, and that consistency deserves a disruption uh, of Ballon d'Or. What about you? I, I think Lewandowski should win it. I don't think he will. I think it's going to go to Leo Messi. I think because he won the Copa America with Argentina, because he dragged a pretty bang average Barcelona team with Ronald Koeman, who's a pretty bang average manager to a Copa del Rey trophy. He what? had 41, 41 goals and 17 assists um, in 2021. He, he's, he's, yeah, it's it's interesting. Also, the ceremony, just so everybody knows, is live on Paramount Plus tomorrow. So be on the lookout. But he just scored his first goal. Like I, I, I get that, dude. 
We're still in 21. That. I get it. But okay, but then you have Robert Lewandowski, 64 goals and 10 assists. He won the Bundesliga Club World Cup, the DFL Super Cup. Um, and, and, and that's just this past year. I mean, the, the season before, he should have won it too. And I'm still pissed that France football decided not to have it because Liga yeah. was going to be put. Get the hell out of here, dude. Nobody from Liga was going to win it. Yeah. Not that particular. I mean, it was Lewandowski was so clear of everybody in the last season that it's a joke. But I think Messi's going to get it, man. I think he will. And I, I'm not happy about it. But yeah, I'm pissed off now. You're pissed. Yeah, me off Lewandowski. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to piss you off, but I think Lewandowski deserves it. I just don't think he'll win it. I think it'll go Messi, Lewandowski, and they might throw a throw a bone to Jorginho because he was the UEFA Player of the Year or whatever. So um, even though he didn't play particularly well today for Chelsea, but I think the votes have already been counted. So election fraud, know. election fraud. So we'll see, we'll see. But uh, I'm excited. To see how it all plays out again, it's on Paramount Plus tomorrow. The whole ceremony and all the bells and whistles. Some of my favorite memes come from these ceremonies because everybody's just like, Can you just name the announcer already? We don't, or who <laughs> want it? We don't need all the bells and whistles, man. But yeah. uh, they like to do it up and do something special. Heath Pierce, thank you as always. Wow, look at those shades. Yeah, they're uh, officially licensed uh, US uh, World wow, Cup 94 shades. Dude, I've been Thanks, looking for man. some of that swag. This is what I put on when I need to block out the haters. <laughs> Go on, Lewandowski. <laughs> Amazing. Well, we appreciate you guys for listening today. That is the K Golasso pod. So on behalf of Heath Pierce and our producer, Des Norris, I'm Jimmy Conrad. Make sure you follow K Golasso on Twitter at K Golasso pod. Subscribe to K Golasso wherever you get your podcasts, of course, and leave us a glowing review. That would be very nice of you. And if you're watching on YouTube, make sure to hit that like button and the subscribe button and turn on your notifications so that you don't miss a thing on the best YouTube channel in the world. Yes, I'm a little bit biased. We'll be back again on Monday for the U.S. Men's National Team Hour, where we'll be discussing the favorable playoff draw for the fourth-place team in CONCACAF World Cup qualifying and breaking down our U.S. Men's National Team all-time best 11s. It should be a lot of fun, so we'll see you tomorrow. And then, of course, we'll have some reaction to the ball on door. Thank you for listening, everybody. We'll see you soon. Later. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts.